Good morning, and welcome to Her Turn, a program of news and information from a feminist perspective. I'm Sandy Janigal. And I'm Eliza Howard. Today, we're going to talk with Kathleen Tissit, and uh, I got to know you because we both have a passion for theater. Kathleen was my director for a show this past December at the Bartell Theater. But the reason I'm so excited to have you here is because of your work. You had a very interesting career path, and what inspires me is how you have managed to not just create a work-life balance, but a way to combine your creative interests with STEM. You're currently the Health Professions Coordinator at UW-Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. Can you describe your role for us? Uh, it's hard to describe. <laughs> uh, Health Professions Education Coordinator is a title that I, I think I'm just one of a kind and they didn't know what category to put me in. Basically what I do is I work with standardized patients, who I'm going to call SPs. Okay, so just so you know. Um, I do, I'm involved in the hiring, in the scheduling, in the training, in the um, organizing, everything standardized patient. And I also um, help uh, the faculty kind of tweak cases so that um, the cases that the students need to work on um, work in work in a context of working with the standardized patient and anything else is needed. So it's it, it's very variable. How did you get introduced to the world of standardized patients? Oh, how I got introduced is actually through theater because um, I was a speech pathologist for a lot of years and I was getting kind of burnt out and so I, I knew I needed to do something else. And I was in a, um, a play with um, Jason Compton, who has been on the show. I believe he's somebody, um, he does one of the shows. And he said, you know, you should be a standardized patient. I was like, what the heck is a standardized patient? And um, so when I found out, um, I thought, you know, this sounds kind of cool. It's like acting with med students or healthcare field people. And so I, um, at the time, there was a, a group that I auditioned for for that, because there's a there's different places on campus that use them. And I was accepted. And then um, from there, I found out they had a regular program of standardized patients and SPs. And you could be an SP, um, and it's intermittent part-time. And I thought, oh, perfect way to find a purpose in life. And so I did that for a couple of years, and then this job opened up. And um, this one took everything that I've done in my entire career with um, medical aspect, communication aspect, theater aspect, everything, and put it into one big package. That's amazing. What what does a day look like for a standardized patient? Uh, for a standardized patient, mm-hmm. it's different than it looks like for me. Yeah. But a standardized, for an SP, um, typically um, it's intermittent part-time work. So um, we recruit people to work based on what the demographic is needed in the case that we're doing for the med school at the time or for the group at the time, uh, because they all have like a case that they work on. So we send out invitations to work and we get back and then we make a roster. For the SPs, their day looks like, um, you know, about a week before they have the the event, they uh, have an online training and they go on online and then I do the, most of them I do the training with. There's a couple coworkers that also do it, but I do most of it. And we do, we go over the case. I've had uh, an SP describe it, it's like a table reading for theater. Mm -hmm. And so we go in there, we go over the case, we answer questions about the case, we do, um, uh, anybody who's done the case before might have some insight on what the students might ask. And then um, we do that during the training. Then the day of, they come at their arrival time. Being on time is extremely important, just like (laughs) in theater and anywhere else. 
And then they, they do the case. Some of the cases are interview only. They just have to memorize a lot of facts and a lot of things to be the person in the case. Um, some, some of the cases involve a physical exam, in which case they would wear a gown. And um, the students involved would do a physical exam as part of the case. So that varies. And then when they're done, they, they get dressed and go home. What are, can you give an example of one of the cases of what one of these like case appointments would look like for one of these medical students? Um, they're, they're all different. Um, if I'll, I'll take an abdominal pain case just because it's, they're pretty, a lot, there's a lot of abdom, abdominal pain cases out there. Um, and basically they're, they're giving, uh, like some, some of them have a name. A lot of them use electronic health records, which is Epic does the mm-hmm. electronic health records, um, for a student version. And, um, so they're giving a name and an age and, a um, family history, social history, like what kind of work they do, what kind of economic situation they're in. Um, uh, it might say like their family history, if there's any health issues in the family. It, it's got all these different categories of things that the, that the um, SPs need to learn. And so um, on the case part, they have that all memorized and ready to go. And then when the student asks the questions, they know the answers. The difference from being with your real doctor though, is if you go to the real doctor, You'll go in and you'll say, oh, man, I've had this stomach pain for three days now, and it feels like I've got a knife in my gut, and I just, you know, it, you know, I, on a scale of one to ten, it's like a six. Well, we have to separate those out because the students are learning about ans- asking questions, and so we have to wait and just give them the one answer. So how long have you had this pain? Oh, three days now. You know, where is it located? Oh, it's on the right-hand side of my stomach, like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the cases include. Yeah, so I talked to uh, one of your standardized patients. Her name is Sarah Kendall. She said that she really enjoys being able to help the next generation of medical professionals. Working as a standardized patient gives these students a chance to work with a real person, and that's invaluable for a career focused on living, breathing patients. So thank you for working with them and training them. Uh, It's clearly great for the medical professionals and the standardized patients. so how did you come to have this role? You started talking about it a little bit. How, what brought you to your role as health professions education coordinator? Um, well, way back when, I was a speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. And I worked in a medical setting for the first half of my career. And I, so I worked in hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, home health, things like that. And so my background, I knew a lot about that. And then my kids got to be a little bit older. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of tired of that part of it. And so I started working in the schools. And I started working with high school students. Um, So overlapping with all of this, when my um, oldest son was about nine years old, um, he wanted to audition for a musical in our community theater. And um, I thought, well, heck, I'm going to have to drive in this whole time. You know, I'd never been involved in theater except for being a chorus ever. And so oh, if he's going to do this, I'm going to drive him. I'm going to. So we were in a play together. Well, I'm the one who got hooked. <laughs> and, and so I was doing that. And then um, so that, that's overlapping with the speech thing. And then when I, I, I switched over to working in the schools, I um, when my son, same son, was a freshman in high school, he had a group of friends and they came to me and they said, we don't have a drama club. We really want to have a drama club. Can you? Can you do that? So we all went to the school board, and we, and we had, and then we had a drama club, 
And so that became more. And, and I was the play director there for many years until I left. And so that kind of all came together. And I love directing. I also do, I did a bunch of acting, not so much anymore, but I did a bunch of acting, but I also did directing. And then I thought, well, I better know what I'm doing. So I went into grad classes in directing. So I have like 30 some odd hours in directing in grad school. And so I've got these two things that are that are overlapping. And then speech pathology got to be kind of a little bit burnt out with that. And my kids were all, had then graduated from high school. And um, then I, that's when I talked to Jason and I became a standardized patient. And then from there, it was like, well, this, this kind of ties everything. I need my medical background. I'm using my communications background. I'm using my theater background. I'm using my directing background. And it all kind of fit together to do this. So, so that's amazing. in a nutshell. It's <laughs> so amazing how you've integrated the arts and STEM into your career path. And what an interesting path that you've taken a lot of different routes to come to where you are. It was different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very interesting. So this is Sandy Janigold. I have a friend who just went to see um, a doctor that she had never seen before. And it was a young man. It was for a gynecological appointment, actually. And she found him to be extremely compassionate and caring. Her diagnosis could very well be cancer. And he was um, telling her that no matter what happens, it wasn't her fault that she got that. And so I'm wondering if this is part of what they learn then while while they're working with patients or stand. SPs, um, somewhat, yeah. They do. They do focus a lot on the communication skills because over the years, um, doctors have had a reputation for not being very compassionate like that. And so students now are really, they, they focus a lot on not only doing the skills that they're learning in their curriculum, but also how to present it to real people. And that's part of what standardized patients do. On our part in the work during teaching sessions, we do different types of sessions. There's a whole lot of different things that go on. But um, when we do teaching sessions, at the end of those sessions, um, as standardized patients can give feedback. And the type of feedback that we're supposed to give deals with specifically what the student said or what they did and how it affected us. It could be as simple as when you walked in the room and sat down and smiled and introduced yourself, I felt comfortable. So it's, it's what they did or said and then how we felt about it. We try to be really gentle with them because these are just students. Um, but over time, as they're, as they're continuing their practice, hopefully some of those things will stick with them and then they will actually be compassionate with their real patients. That's amazing. And I know that you cover some of the sensitive topics in your cases. Can you talk about some of the sensitive topics that you train? Oh, oh sensitive topics, like in what way? Because yeah. um, we do psychological cases, mm -hmm. we do um, sexual history cases, we do um, the first year medical school class or first year class uh, cases tend to be a little bit more generic, but as they move on, they do include other things. So is there one in particular you want me to talk about? Oh, I was, when I was talking to uh, a few of the standardized patients, uh, a few of them mentioned the, the sexual abuse cases or oh. the, the psychology, okay. the, the depression cases. Okay. Um, depression cases, um, I train them just like just about any other case, but the difference is when, um, if I'm going to be recruiting for a specific type of case, like if it's a depression case or a sexual, um, especially the IPV cases that we do, um, I, I, I do like a, a warning shot and I say, this case involves you know, a person with suicidal ideation. If this is going to trigger you in any way, please do not accept. 
Because the way that we work our recruitment is we send out an invitation. We tell them, okay, this is the dates, these are the times, these are what the topic is. Um, please respond with your response, with your availability. And so then they'll give us their availability, and then from there we'll 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 schedule people. If someone, if you give them the warning shot, then if they personally will be triggered in some way by the topic that you're doing, they can say no, and there's no reason, they don't need to give a reason why. They can just say um, not available. So, and the IPV cases are, um, they're coming up in the spring. They usually do those in springtime, and that the, the, um, there's one in particular that we actually have facilitators come in from like DACE and from um, Rape Counseling Center and, and that we have um, counselors come in to sit in on the cases to actually talk with students um, as they're, they're working with the standardized patient so they can talk about the real life aspects of this. That's, right. that's just what I was going to ask when you said days, um, domestic abuse intervention services, because mm-hmm. there's a lot to know about domestic violence mm-hmm. and how to deal with um, people that are victims of that and we do and our cases are very specific when it talks about like um if you're given a case to portray with that you're given all the details excuse me and some of the um some of them are um where the person is not disclosing that there's a problem but there obviously is because we do use bruising i use sage makeup to put like um no i i black eyes and bruises on the arms and things um and, and there's still the person who's not disclosing anything. And how do they deal with that versus somebody who comes right out and says, hey, my boyfriend beats me. So. Right. Thank you. Uh, I was going to ask, can you uh, define what IPV, what, oh, what is it? Sorry. Um, it's intimate partner violence. Intimate partner violence. Sorry. Thank you. Um, Lots of acronyms in this job. Yeah, there Lots. are. <laughs> Um, so outside of work, you've been highly involved in Madison Theater. What have been some of your favorite experiences getting involved in theater <laughs> after you got that theater bug? Oh, geez. Um, it, well, work in, in recent years, it's been mostly the directing. Um, I, I just did Christmas of Pemberley, which you're familiar <laughs> with, which I, I loved the cast in that one so much. They were all wonderful. Um, the, the previous ones I did that were... Um, I, I directed The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime at First Stroller Theater, and that one was very dear to my heart because my oldest grandson does have autism. And um, that was very dear. Um, and the one before that that I directed was Amadeus, which, which was a huge show. Um, I was, in fact, I talked on WORT about that one. Um, and that one was beautiful. It was just beautiful. Um, so my experience is I, I, I have to be very particular with with what I do now because of my job. It's it's very time consuming and very, um, by the end of the day, I'm beat. So I have to be particular about what I choose and who I choose to work with. But, um, so that's my most recent. My most recent acting ones have been now, gee whiz, when, the last time I acted was 2017, so it's been a while now. I was, um, I was in Steel Magnolias, and I was Malin for that one. That one was a wonderful experience. I was in Casa Valentina, where um, that that play was a wonderful experience. Um, Usually when I, if I I read the play and it does something for me, that's when I'll say, hey, you know, this is something worth my time. Because, you know, it's a volunteer thing. And if you don't enjoy the people you're you're with and you don't enjoy the topic that you're working on, it's not worth it. It's just not. You know, life's too short. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, so, um, what's the what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in Madison Theater? <laughs> oh, jeez, craziest thing, craziest thing. 
Oh, there's lots of stuff that's... Every show has its own thing that happens Mm -hmm. that makes it, okay, how do we do with this? Um, But I can't can't think of just one that was like (laughs) the craziest thing. Uh, I I mean, everybody makes mistakes on stage. I've got a couple of those under my belt. (laughs) Everybody, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, With your experience as a director, how does that come into finding cast members or standardized patients? It's it's the same process, actually. It it almost is. Um, The difference is, um, well, for standardized patients, okay, I'll step back. When I I direct a show, um, I'm very, um, I think I'm I'm pretty good at casting. I, I find people that do really well with the roles that they're cast in for the most part. Um, I think, but the biggest thing to me, I don't care how talented a person is. If they've got a reputation for being a pain to work with, I don't cast them. I just don't. I'm not gonna, and it's just, you know, that's just, and that's me. That I would much rather work with people who are creative and collaborative and, and get along than anything else. It's the same for standardized patients, really. Um, when we we have a process, we have a hiring process. Um, people apply online, and then my um, supervisor um, does the screenings, and she'll she'll pick a few, and she'll say, "Hey, do you know so and so?" Or, "Hey, you know." So a lot of the people, since I've taken on the job, this is, I'm in there four years now. Um, a lot of the people that we've hired have been actors um, because they understand they understand that. Y- the training rehearsal is important. That you got to be on time. You got to be, you know, stick to the role. You got to be able to be consistent and do it over and over again. And actors get that. Um, you don't have to be a director. We have a lot of really great SPs who are not actors, but um, probably a good third to half of our of our pool right now has about our all acting experience. Wow, that's amazing. Um, how do you go about getting? Whatever when it considered diversity in SPs, that and that's a challenge because um, it, it's a specific kind of job. Um, you have to have people who don't rely on that income for uh, mm-hmm. for like paying their rent or whatever, because it's intermittent part time. You might not even work for a month or two, or you might work ten times in a, in a month. So it's it it's really variable. So that's unfortunately a lot of. People that are in a certain age range and a people who are a certain demographic, um, they need more regular work. And so it's harder to find people that fit that. But we do have standardized patients from the ages of 18 all the way up to 87. Um, we have a, a nice mix of men and women now. Um, and we're, we're we, every time we've got somebody come in who meets a different demographic, because we've got different sexual orientations, we have different ethnicities, we have different, all, we do have that. We would just like to see even more of a mix if we could. But we, when you hire people, it's a hiring thing too. You can't discriminate people based on what they look like. So we can't tell someone, oh, we can't interview you because you're a certain age or because you're a certain whatever. Um, it just can't do that. If someone were interested in getting involved in being a standardized patient, what are the next steps they should take? Where could they find more information? They can find more inf- information on the webpage. If you do a Google search, I mean, I could redo the med.wisc.edu.ccat or backward slash CTAC, um, which um, basically if you just do a Google search for um, UW-Madison standardized patient program, 
it'll pop you right up to that page. And it'll have um, frequently asked questions about being a standardized patient. It has general information about it. And it's got an application link. So if, you, if you're interested and it sounds good, you can go to there, click on the link, and um, we'll, we'll get your application and we'll go over it and talk to you. So. Eliza earlier had asked you about what a typical days like for the SP, but what about for you? I'm sure there's no typical day, but it sounds like you do a lot of different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I do. And I really don't have a typical day Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, During the, um, our curriculum, our our schedule is based on the medical students curriculum year and everything else fits in with it. Like we, we belong to the School of Medicine and Public Health. So all of the groups that are in the School of Medicine, which are uh, medical school, um, uh, physician assistant program, um, uh, physical therapy, there's a, there's a few of them that are part of the School of Medicine um, that they take priority over what our schedule is. And so um, based on what their teaching schedule or testing schedule is, is what I do. Right now, it's um, the school year, quote school year. And um, so we have a lot of clinical skills teaching sessions. So every Monday and Thursday, we have from 9 o'clock till 12 and 1230 to 3, we have clinical skills where we need standardized patients. And that's where the different cases come in. Right now, they're learning um, the, the unit of study is called food fasting and fitness. And so the cases have to do with diet and exercise and and topics like abdominal pain even because it's part of their digestive system um things like that um then when they're done with this one they'll have a testing session and that's usually an all-day thing day and a half even and then we'll move on to the next unit of study which will be our human family tree which includes the ipv cases that, so my day, you asked about my day. My day varies on if it's if we're working a session, then I do a lot of checking in SPs and um, monitoring cameras, monitoring their performance, making sure no one's goofing up majorly, things like that on on those days. If it's um, if it's a day that I don't have that, we've got meetings and I've got uh, I'm recruiting for the next events, which are a month ahead of time. I'm recruiting. I'm talking with doctors about you know how we're going to make the cases work for SPs. Um, right now we're talking about um, looking at possibilities for a scheduling system. We're talking about uh, so th- there's cleaning. We have to. I've got a wonderful coworker who cleans the center a lot, who's in charge of kind of organizing stuff, and we all kind of pitch in and help with that when needed. Um, it no days the same. When I do trainings though, like when the days that I do trainings for these cases, I typically work remote because it's it's online. And I have less interruptions at home. I, uh, it, when I go in, I don't have a door in my office. And so I, it's less interruptions if I can just do it from home. So no typical day. Yeah. So uh, you said you've been in this role for four years. Uh, a lot has changed in the world in the last four years. What has changed for you in this role in the last four years? Well, when COVID hit, <laughs> um, we actually, um, we went home and then we spent the next couple of months scrambling to figure out how we were going to provide services to the students online because um, you don't want to interrupt their education or their, um, you know, the clinical skills were an important part of their education. So we scrambled doing that. And then in July, we were back on in person already. So we came back and there was the days then were cleaning every surface every time someone would sit in a chair, we'd have to clean the chair. Someone would, you know, at, at the world was like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then um, 
So there's that aspect of it. And even now, we wear masks now because we, we follow the guidelines of UW Health. So if the if the UW Health is wearing whatever their protocols are, that's the ones we follow because we're a simulated facility. Um, there's that. And it seems like um, it, it, attitudes have changed about some things. Like they used the students used to wear white coats during testing sessions, and they don't anymore. The um, cleanliness thing, and so now they don't. So things appear to be much more casual that way. Um, the way that students are uh, just, you know, society has changed in a lot of ways. People are much more aware of of um, ways of, of speaking to people and, you know, things like the type of criticism you can give and the types of things that we have to kind of just accept on an individual level. And those are just changes. They're nothing, you can't say good, bad, or otherwise, but they're, they're just changes in society. And, that, and we reflect that. I have a appointment with a brand new doctor this Tuesday, and it's going to be on Zoom or oh, a phone, on, a telephone one. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had a telephone one with my regular doctor that I went to for twenty five years. So, mm-hmm. do you do those kinds of things in med yeah. school? Yeah, we have remote sessions also, um, where it's a it's a Zoom call. We started off doing those um, well right away when we when we moved to Zoom, and um, in the beginning it was really an odd thing. It felt odd, uh, and now that's that's a way that they do practice now. A lot of them you can choose to have a Zoom pra- call versus an in person one. Uh, so it's it that's kind of changed that way too. But yeah, they, they do feel different. They they feel very different. I have not personally had a, a Zoom physical exam, but I have I have implemented them okay and how do how do those go pretty well well it depends on what what they're doing it they sometimes it's just a lot of asking questions mm-hmm. you just got to make sure that when you're going through at least when we when we have one that that students are asking the questions and you're giving them just the answer that they asked for because they they have to go down the list and at, make sure they cover everything whereas if you tell them a bunch of stuff maybe they'll ask more you know, I don't. I don't know. Like I said, I haven't really done it myself. But mm-hmm. yeah, you shared uh, a lot about your career path, how you integrated the arts and STEM, uh, made a path that worked for you. Do you have advice for other women artists and leaders for how to make a career that's interesting for them and valuable, and keeping art in and out of your career? Being creative is so important to me. Um, I would not consider myself a leader in any way, shape, or form, though. I, I'm just me. And um, in my life, um, just being open to opportunity. Um, if you if you open yourself up just to be available or to not be afraid to go into stuff. I've done some things in my career that I never thought I would do. And it worked out to be something that was just your life... The longer I live, the more I've realized that life is a path. And if you take one path, it leads to something one way. And if you go take another path, it leads to something else. And sometimes if you're really lucky, those paths will all kind of end up where where you're somewhere that you feel appreciated, creative, and, um, I don't know, fulfilled. <laughs> Isn't a director a leader? <sighs> yes, yes. But <laughs> the way that... The way that I, I'm, I'm a collaborative director. 
And I find that exciting um, because sometimes uh, an actor will come up with, a, well, what if I try this? And I'll say, try it. And they'll try it. And I'll say, no, that doesn't work. Or I'll say, yeah, that's great. You know, so I'm kind of the overseer to group it together. I don't consider myself to be the one in charge and who has to do everything. Okay. Makes sense. I hear the music. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kathleen. It has been a joy speaking with you. And thank you, Joanne and Gigi, for engineering. Now stay tuned for two and a half hours of women in music, arts, and culture on Her Infinite Variety. Thanks for joining us for Her Turn. I'm Sandy Janigold. And I'm Eliza Howard. <laughs>